the Oakdale Christian Centre podcast. This week, Kelton leads a study in faith. The main reading is Hebrews chapter 11. So first things first, what is faith? So Hebrews 11, one says, Faith is the substance, or some other versions, assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now faith is the assurance. Remember, the assurance is assured. So faith in prayer is the firm expectation or assurance or guarantee. That's what faith is, the firm guarantee expectation. Now this is a biggie, free from all doubt, free from all doubt of getting what is asked for. The prayer of faith counts the thing asked for as if it were already a reality because God has heard the request and granted the thing asked. And what God has granted is as really ours as if we had it already. That is awesome. So faith is, is the assurance, the guarantee. It's, it's guaranteed. God said it's guaranteed. Despite the evidence, despite the circumstance or the situation. So how does God increase our faith? How does our faith increase? Well, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness to manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found under praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So God tests us by allowing trials, tribulations and storms to come our way. And it's only through that process can our faith increase. If we didn't have any trials or tribulations, then we're just going to walk through life. You know, there's no need for faith. So that's how God increases our faith. The more trials we face, the more we should rely on God. And our faith in him should increase. The more we get into God's word, the more we draw closer to God, the more God draws closer to us. Faith comes by hearing. That's why it's so important we hear it Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Thursday. So I want to quickly look at a few people in scripture that the Lord has tested. And we'll see if, you know, how they got on. So if we turn to 1 Samuel, first person we're going to look at is Saul. So we're going to look at Saul's trial of faith. So 1 Samuel 13... And we're reading from 1 to 14. Again, if we just read around. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel, 2,000 were with him at Michmash, and the hill county of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan of Giveth in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back Jonathan attacked the Philistine outposts at Giva, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So what Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outposts, and now Israel has become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to, Saul, to, were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel, 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers. And soldiers, numerous as the sand, sand of the seashore, went up and camped in Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. Mm-hmm. Like the situation was critical, and that their army was fast, They hid in caves and thickets among the rocks, and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilad, Gilead. 
saw the ring that killed Gao, and all the troops with him were quickly with me at eight. So we were there seven days for Samuel. Samuel then struck the mirror again, but Samuel still did come. Saul realized that the truth was rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Mm. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went up to meet him and welcomed him. But Samuel said, what is this you have done? Mm. Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would. Mm. And the Philistines are at this match, ready for battle. So I said, the first time I read the march against us, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt obliged to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly, and you have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. Mm. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. So we know Saul when it was in his second year as king. We know the Philistines were gathering a huge army. We know that the prophet Samuel had said to Saul, don't do anything until I return. Wait seven days. Now the Bible isn't clear why you know, um, Samuel had to go away. It, it doesn't tell us why, you know, why he had to go. It doesn't tell us why he wait seven days. But that's, that was the commandment. Saul, wait seven days, do nothing until I come back. So the Philistine army is growing in number. Saul's men start fleeing in fear. Now Saul, he should have got his men together. He should have gathered his men together and he should have said, we serve an awesome God. God is in control. God is not gonna let us down. He's not let us down before and he's not gonna let us down this time. That's what he should have said. See, even though the situation looked impossible, God would have got him through. So we see Saul's lack of faith even more so on the seventh day. You know, I, I can imagine kind of Saul on, on, on the side of the mountain and he's watching all the Philistine armies kind of grow and grow and grow. And he's just pacing back and forth. And he's just, his, his men are fleeing. Um, and he's just waiting for Samuel. Just waiting for Samuel to come back. And he's thinking, he ain't coming. You know, the first day, the second day, the third day, he's probably, well, you know, not, not so fretful. The seventh day, he's probably beside himself. You know, where's Samuel, where's Samuel? And then he obviously is thinking over and over, he's not coming, he's not coming. Mm -hmm. So what does Saul do? He takes matters into his own hands. Mm -hmm. He says to the priest, go and get the offering, made the offering. Soon as they made the offering, Samuel returned. Now it was still the seventh day. He said, wait seven days. Now it might have been 11.59 on the seventh day, but Samuel would have come back. Saul should have waited. But he takes matters into his own hands. Now this is Kelton's revised version. Samuel said to Saul, Saul, you utter, utter buffoon, you idiot. You are such an idiot. All you had to do was wait seven days. Wait seven days. Nothing would have happened. Nothing would have happened. God was in complete control, but Saul, he wouldn't wait. And because of Saul's disobedience and his lack of faith, God took away his kingdom. Samson, we're gonna have a little look at Samson. So if we turn to Judges, Judges 16, so we know Saul failed in his, in his trial of faith. So we look at Samson. Judges 16, 20 to 29. As you called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. 
He woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. Yeah. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. When the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze straps. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Verse 23. Then the lords of then the lords of Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice and to deepen their God and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. When the people saw him and praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our, delivered our enemy into our hand. The one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. And it came to pass when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson, that he may take, make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport. And they set, um, set him between the pillars. And Samson said unto the, unto the lad that held by the hand, Suffer me that I may feel the pillars. Whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And they were upon the roof about three thousand men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please God, strengthen me just once more, and let me with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. 29. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house was stood, and on which it was borne up, and one of them in his right hand, and one on the other with his left hand. And Samuel said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself and with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords, uh, and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Now I can relate to Samson up to a point. You see, Samson had fought many small battles. And I think what happened to Samson? He just got bored. You know, he starts to murmur and he starts to complain. Why is God only using me to do the small things and not the big things? Yeah, he fought many small battles and he won many, many small battles. But I think he just got bored. I just think he wanted, you know, the bigger the bigger accomplishments in life. And we know that's, that's the big issue within the church. You know, thankfully not this church. Been in many churches where people don't want to do the small menial tasks. They don't want to do the cleaning. They don't want to do the dishes. You know, they, they don't want to do stuff that, you know, you know, people don't see. They want to be at the front. Oh, I want to lead the worship. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I believe Samson found himself in that very same place. Mm -hmm. You know, why am I doing all this small menial stuff? I'm, I'm the big man, I, I want to be doing the big stuff. But what does God say? If you're not faithful in the little things, how on earth are you going to be faithful in the big things? So instead of Samson taking his problem to God and pouring his heart out, he goes to a prostitute. He goes to the world. And we know when we go to the world to solve our problems, it's not long before things go pear-shaped. That's exactly what happened to Samson. They capture him and they pluck his eyes out. Now, I know people say that Samson repented, but see, I, I don't know. I don't know if he did. I, I know he called on the Lord, but see, for me, I think Samson was grieved about his eyes. Really grieved that they plucked out his eyes. 
And he said, Lord, remember me one last time that I may avenge my eyes. But again, I think Samson, in his trial of faith, he failed. Solomon. Again, Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man on the planet. God had blessed him abundantly. He, I mean, um, Solomon, he took away the, um, the ungodly um, priesthood. He put in a godly priesthood. He built the temple. Even kings and queens came from all over just to, you know, see Solomon. They were just in awe of Solomon, his wisdom and his, his kingdom and everything else. So what was Solomon's test of faith? Well, God specifically told him, do not intermarry. Do not marry heathen, you know, heathens from the heathen nations. But what was Solomon's problem? He had a problem with lust, sexual lust. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. But God told him, look, if, yeah. if you involve yourself with these people, they will take you away from me and you will follow their gods. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. He followed their gods. You know, what happens is, you know, when, when we won't forsake a beset in sin, what we'll do, we'll develop doctrine to excuse ourselves. And that's exactly what's happening. You know, people think, oh, oh, the Lord loves me, the Lord loves me, the Lord. Yeah. It, no, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Right, Mark 4. Let's have a look at the disciples. We've, we've, looked at, um, we've looked at Saul. We've looked at Solomon. We've looked at Samson. Let's have a little look in the New Testament at the, uh, at the disciples. So we're looking at Mark, Mark 4, and 31 to 40, uh, 36 to 41. And when they were sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship. And there was also with him other little ships, and there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care what we are that we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, How can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? So, so here's the picture, the disciples and Jesus that they'd finished doing whatever. Jesus, they're all probably exhausted. We know Jesus is exhausted because he's, he's fallen asleep. He's got his head on his pillow and he's fast asleep. So, so they're, they're, they're out in the water. Um, now these were fishermen. They, they, they knew what storms were, but this was an extraordinary storm. I mean, the wind had picked up. The water was bashing against the boat. There was water coming in the boat. They thought they were gonna die. So they wake Jesus up. Jesus, don't you care about us? Don't you care about us? We're gonna perish, we're gonna die. And he said, where's your faith? Where's your faith? And he spoke to the wind, peace, be still. Now, I think Jesus went back and I think he got his head, you know, his head down again. Yeah. And they talked among, the, I mean, they were exceedingly fearful. They were fearful. What manner, listen, what manner of man is this that even the wind obey him? See, they had been with Jesus. They had, they had seen the miracles. They had heard the parables. They had seen him, they had touched him. But they, they didn't fully grasp who he was. They hadn't fully grasped who Jesus was. And I think that that's one thing we need to do. We need to fully grasp who Jesus is. We need to fully grasp who he is. 
Who is he? He's almighty God. He's almighty God. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He's our father. He's Lord. He's savior. He's redeemer. He's coming king. He holds all things together. This world isn't held together by Gorilla Glue. He holds all things together. This earth spins just at the, the, the right speed, so the gravity. He makes the sun come up. He makes the sun come down. The moon, the stars, everything is just perfectly held together. We are wonderfully and fearfully made. I mean, you look at us, we're so complex. Well, that's what my wife tells me. I'm so <laughs> but you look at our brain, our eyes, everything. You just, just think about it. All, all the, you know, the arteries and the veins. and They reckon we've got so many capillaries and stuff. They'll go around the world twice. You know, we don't even need to breathe. God gives us a diaphragm. So, so we, you know, we just breathe automatically. We were created by him. We were created for him. Created for intimacy with him. That's why he created us. For, for a relationship. He wants to talk to us all the time. That's why we were created. For intimacy with God. We have 24-7 access with Almighty God. Think about it. We've got 24-7 access with Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. We speak to him. It's incredible, absolutely incredible. His promises are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. He holds us in the palm of his hand. We're safe and secure. There's nothing that can happen to us unless God said so. There's nothing. There's no demon or devil from hell that can touch us because God keeps us in the palm of his hand. I love what George Whitfield said. He said, I'm immortal until God says otherwise. He said, I'm immortal. There's nothing the man can do. He said, I'm immortal until God says otherwise. He said, God is in complete control of my life and nothing can happen to me unless God says so. And for me, this is where the penny dropped. So we know faith is the assurance, the guarantee of things hoped for, despite the situation. So it's, it's guaranteed, it's assured, despite the situation, despite the circumstance. Uh, as you know, with, with, you know, I had the shadowing on my lungs, um, went and had a CT scan, and then we went in to see the, um, the consultant. Um, and I, I never forget, I just, you know, he just kind of stared at me, right, shook my hand, and he said, right, you know, this is the issue, you know, the shadow here, you know, have you worked with asbestos? I said, well, probably asbestos is, you know, is in a lot of things, Artex and stuff. Um, right, okay, um, right, this is what we need to do. He said, um, you know, we need to do a biopsy. If the biopsy is not um, conclusive, then we need to, you know, remove the, the, the lymph nodes. But I knew what he thought. I knew he thought it was cancer because he said it could be one of three things. Um, and when I said, look, we're going away in a couple of weeks, he was like, no, 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 you're not going away. No, you cancel it. We need to get this sorted. This needs to be, you know. So I knew exactly, you know, what he was thinking. And as we went out, um, it's, it's surreal because, you know, your mind can't process it. And I know some of you have been through the same, same thing. Your mind can't process the information. I mean, it's, you know, it's only a few words, you know, I think you've got cancer, but you just, you can't process it. So anyway, kind of silent going home in the car. And I just sat in the living room, sat in the chair. And um, it, it seemed like for a couple of hours. And again, you're just trying to process it, but you can't. Everything seems kind of, you know, muddled up. And I just said to myself, no, no. Yeah. So 
I got the word of God. I said, come on guys, we're gonna pray. We're gonna pray. So we opened up the word and I said, Lord, this is your word. You are almighty God. You are almighty God. This is your word and you cannot lie. You cannot lie. So the first thing I'm doing is acknowledging who he is. He's almighty God. The next thing I'm doing is reminding him of his promises. Lord, you said, you said if I ask anything in your name and I believe it and doubt not, then you, you'll do it, it'll come to pass. Lord, you said, if I call for the elder of this church, the anoint me with oil, the prayer of, sick, that the prayer of faith may heal the sick. No, it doesn't say that. It says the prayer of faith will, will heal the sick. Lord, you said you will heal all my diseases. Lord, you said by your stripes, I'm healed. Lord, you said, if I honor my mother and father, then the days, my, my days on this earth will be long. So Lord, I'm molding you to these promises. And I said, you know what? We've prayed, it said, it's done, it's done. We've prayed, we've got faith to believe. We're not gonna doubt, it's done. Because faith is the guarantee. It's the assurance of, you know, asking, you, you've got what you've asked. So I said, guys, it's done. And do you know, after that, I, didn't, I never prayed saying, Lord, heed me. It was just praise and thanksgiving. Lord, thank you. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for removing whatever's there. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. When Cam had, um, last year, um, he had um, obviously a payout from the, um, from the compensation to help with his rehabilitation and everything else. Um, and we were told a solicitor had to look after his money. Um, now, you know what solicitors are like. So um, anyway, we were asking them for a long time. Look, you know, we need um, accounts, we need accounts. And they, they didn't, you know, they never send it to us. Um, and then they eventually send us, you know, um, like an itemized bill. Well, we just kind of fell off the, the table because, um, you know, the chair was, it was just astronomical. Um, so again, um, I opened up the scripture. I said, Lord, you're almighty God. Your word says, if I ask for that mountain to be removed and cast into the sea, Believe, doubt not, then you'll do it. Lord Cam's deputy, who's taken all his money, she's a mountain, she needs to be removed. Now I don't know how you're gonna do it, but thank you for doing it. Thank you for doing it. And again, my mindset's changed after that, wasn't Lord, Lord, thank you for doing it. Thank you, it's assured. Lord, you cannot lie, it's assured. Five days later, we get an email. Um, because of the, um, the conflict between you know, the garage and, um, and a few other things, I feel I need to step down as Cam's, da uh, Cam's de deputy. Praise God, she stepped down. So basically now we're gonna become Cam's, Cam's deputy. Thank God, praise God. Same with Cam. I know Cam, he's, he's kind of you know, going back a little bit, but God promised to heal him. He promised. It's as simple as that. God cannot lie. Now whether he heals him this week, next week, next year, that's up to the Lord. But the Lord has promised to heal him 100%. And the Lord also promised, if you bring them up in the way that they shall go, they shall not depart. They won't depart. So even though we'll keep praying for him, obviously, he's not gonna depart because the Lord has said so. The Lord has guaranteed. So we're gonna look at the um, New Testament, something, you know, uh, the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul was one of the most tested saints. Everywhere he went, he faced trials. 
But through it all, Paul maintained this powerful testimony. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I may finish the race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel, the grace of God. See, after all that Paul had went through, the stoning, he's whipped, the shipwreck, the imprisonment, he never quit. Paul never quit, and he encourages us to have the same mindset, to do exactly the same thing. He says, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, fulfill our ministry. What's our ministry? To preach Christ and Christ crucified. That's our ministry. It's not about, you know, preaching and, you know, in church. It's about in our communities, in our workplace, in our homes. People seeing Christ in us. God is looking for a people of faith, to stand in faith. Because as we know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We need to be ready to answer those in the world. When everything looks hopeless, when there's chaos all around, why are you so calm? You know what's different about you? A friend asked me the other day, he said, have you had your results back? I said, no. He said, how long has it been? I said, about six weeks. He said, why are you beside yourself? He said, I would be absolutely so anxious, absolutely beside myself. I serve a risen savior. His name is Jesus Christ. He's in full control. And I trust him 100%, 100%. I'm gonna finish on this. And I just want us just to try and, um, what's the word? Meditate, just meditate on this. If we can fully grasp who God is, by faith take hold of his word, we will see the power of God move in an incredible way. I'm gonna say that again, if we fully grasp who God is. Now just, just meditate on that in the week. Lord, f fully reveal who you are. Let me grasp, let me fully grasp who you are. Let me grasp what I've got, what I've got available. It's incredible, absolutely incredible what we've got available to us. But we don't, we, we don't utilize it. We don't utilize any of it or a, or a small amount. So if we can fully grasp who God is, by faith take hold of his word, we will see the power of God move in an incredible way. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. To find out more about our church, visit www.oakdalechristiancentre.org.